Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese here as always with Nima Tavali. So today's show is uh, absolutely mad. I have no idea how we are going to uh, fit everything into it as there is so much to talk about. Um, already the show was was too full and then we, we had the news on Sunday evening that Roberto Mancini had resigned suddenly as uh, Italy manager. So uh, we're going to start with that today. We're going to look at why he resigned, his legacy, who could replace him. And then we're going to get through or try and get through a ton of transfers and transfer topics. Uh, Juventus are, are selling uh, half their squad. Uh, that caused great anger by, by selling Nicolo Rovella. Um, Fiorentina have signed two attackers in the last few days. Inter are set to sign two players as well, maybe another two more. Uh, they're also selling Robin Gosens. Roma are selling Nemanja Matic, who has uh, reportedly betrayed Jose Mourinho. Leandro Paredes, is, it looks like he's going to be his replacement. Renato Sanchez set to join Roma too. Duvan Zapata's close. Then we have Napoli. Um, they finally sorted a new contract for Victor Ossiman. They're about to sign uh, two midfielders. They've already signed one of them. A second one um, is about to arrive and he's a real gem. Nicolo Zaniolo has a bid from Aston Villa. Wilfred Nyonto has gone on strike at Leeds. Um, and we also had some brilliant debuts from, from some of our Italians in the Premier League this, this first weekend of the Premier League season. So we're going to try our best to get through all of that Um uh, it's going to be difficult. We know Nima is a is a champion talker, uh, and I'm not too far behind, so um, it's going to be <laughs> tough to get all that in today. But we'll, we'll do our best. Um, for for all our first time listeners, this is our free weekly episode, which we do every Monday, reviewing the weekend Serie A action and all the biggest talking points in Italian football. If you want to support the Italian Football Podcast and receive all our content that we do throughout the week including our weekly Q&A episode every Tuesday where we answer all the questions sent in from our Patreons, plus the weekly Thursday midweek review show, plus interviews, post-match reaction and much, much more. Then go to patreon.com slash TIFP and become a subscriber for just $2.99 a month plus VAT. For all of you listening on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, we'd really appreciate Give us a, a five-star rating, give us a follow, subscribe to us. Also on YouTube as well. That really helps us to grow. Um, so let's get into today's show. But first, a word from our sponsor. Making your own podcast is fun, but the production of podcasts can also be challenging if you don't have the right software. With Zencaster, the whole process is quick and straightforward. Here at the Italian Football Podcast, we aim to have the highest of standards, and Zencaster provides crystal clear sound and fantastic HD video quality. Furthermore, it's really easy to use. Even boomers like Carlo can manage. There's nothing to download, just one click, and we start recording each episode. Zencaster ensures that your podcasting experience is easy and enjoyable. You don't even have to leave your browser as it possesses all the tools required to get the episode done, from local recording to automatic post-productions. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code ItalianFootball, one word. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, so we'll start off with the news, the sudden news, shock news, really, in some ways, that Roberto Mancini has resigned 
as manager of the Italy national team. Um, this is a developing story, so we don't have all the full details um, of uh, exactly why he he left and suddenly resigned as as Italy coach. So we'll start there. My understanding is that there is a is a number of issues that that led to this. Some of them have been brewing for a, for a few months now. There are some issues behind the scenes with his backroom staff. We had Alberico Ivani um, resigning, uh, one of his closest uh, um, assistants resigning uh, in the last few weeks, uh, reportedly over the uh, over a disagreement over a number of issues, but especially over Mancini's uh, reluctance to to um to to stop playing Leonardo Benucci who who he, he played in the the Nations League semi-finals to disastrous effect in 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 June um and also Mancini reportedly unhappy with some some backroom appointments which which went without his okay none of the, this isn't confirmed these are just uh, these are just reports um and recently we saw of course uh, it could be a coincidence we recently saw Gigi Buffon um coming in as uh, the replacement to the late Gianluca Vialli. Uh, that was only, what, a week ago or so. So, mm, who knows? Um, we also... There's also reports Mancini's tired, tired of, of fighting the, the Italian system by himself. Uh, he, he was recently named as the coordinator for all of Italy's various youth teams, um, trying to get a kind of synergy between all the various youth teams from, from the young from the very youngest Italian youth teams right up to the senior team. Um, and also a couple of other things. First of all, um, the losses to, to two of his dearest friends, Gianluca Vialli and Sinisi Mihailovic this year. Uh, and also, we can't show away from it, um, he has an offer from the Saudi Arabia national team and I'm sure that has played a role in him making the decision to, to actually go ahead and resign. So Nima, um, first of all, what's your what's your reaction to the resignation, and why do you think it has come to this? Um, I think it's a combination of many things. I think he's been there for a few years. Um, I think he's tired um, of fighting, and he's tired of things not working the way that he wants. And this isn't this isn't the first time he's done this. Let's remember when he had enough at Inter that summer as well, um, when he was just exhausted. He was like, "No, I'm not doing this anymore." Um, you know, he he'd been there a couple of years, well, in total four and a half years before leaving, four or five years before leaving, and it's something similar now. He feel he he has to feel that things improve behind the behind the scenes for him in order to be able to do his work, and he's not he doesn't feel that that's what's happening. Uh, you know, this is not he's not where he was when he took over he's changed in the sense that he wants to he wants to grow he wants to take the italian football to grow he wants italian football to to improve and, and and they're not improving and they're really not improving um in his in his mind that is um and uh, you know so he he's got an offer he's been there for a long time I think it's it's a combination of many many things. He's got the Saudi Arabian big money offer. They are, you know, he, if he goes there, he'll have, probably have much more power to build something more long term. Um, he's he doesn't seem. I know that he he was rumored, or I know that there was interest from PSG a year or two ago, and he was kind of mulling that over. But 
I think he's kind of in a position now in his career where he wants to work more long term, uh, you know, uh, with with the national teams. And, and in order to do so, I think Saudi Arabia just maybe offered him a better solution altogether. Mm, offered him more money as well. Let's not forget that. I mean, of we're looking course. at uh, 18 million a year. <laughs> I'm sure that helped him make his decision. And he had the. Well, of course. Had a, I mean, like, you look at it like this you, you get paid more, less stress, a more efficient mm-hmm. organization. You know, you have more power. People do more. You know, you get to decide more how you want to work. You get paid more. You don't have to argue with, 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 with. Syria owners and Syria presidents, and you have to, don't have to argue with FIGC presidents and FIGC's internal structure and and all the politics that goes with that. Um, you know, it's it's just at some point you feel, oh, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Let's go go somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah, I think I I think what's underpinning this is definitely his his frustration at being unable to, and we'll come to it and his achievements in a bit, but. He's done an amazing, amazing job in trying, trying, uh, and obviously the winning the Euros in, in 2020 or 2021 um, was thanks to that. In terms of changing the culture of Italian football, moving away from from many of the backward, outdated um, facets of Italian football, from a just from the style of starting from the style of football, trying to play a positive, um, progressive. Uh, modern type of football as opposed to a defensive low block counter-attacking type of football through to trying to and, and I know this will come to that whether he actually went against that in the end trying to to give more opportunities for youth trying to encourage more more youngsters getting chances um, looking outside the box um, partly by necessity to, to find youngsters like Wilfred Nyonto like Matteo Letigi you know, trying to tr- 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 trying to um, you know uh, change the culture of Italian football, and I think that he become exhausted trying to do that because we've seen many try to do that. Whether it's from an ownership point of view, when we've had foreign owners come in, like American owners, um, to pe- to clubs and trying to build stadiums, or you know all the all the things you know that we complain about in this podcast all the time. Even the simple things like how you market. The league, how you uh, broadcast the league, you know all these things that Italy's so backward in, and that has has a knock on effect um, on everything, including the Italy national team. Um, I think he'd become frustrated and exhausted that basically he was on his own because uh, he was the one ma- one man fighting against the system, and you know in the end you can't win alone. And I think he just, I think that just. In the end, I think he just had enough of that, um, and I think that I think that we'll see. It's going to come out in the next days. Um, no, I'm sure. I, th- I think it's all of the above, and he's been there for many years. And I think, at some, like I said, I think when you're at a job for four or five years and you've had great success, like he's had, and and you know your your goals and, and what you want to do changes with that, evolves with that, and and he wants to do something else, and he's tired of butting heads and fighting with. Serie A clubs, the Serie A organized Lega Calcio. He's, he's not exhausted of fighting with FIGC, um, and so you know Saudi Arabia is a different project. Uh, the Asian Cup is coming up in January, February. Um, he'll, you know, that's what you know he's going to be targeting with, um, and, and of course, I think they're going to bring him up, bring him there to do, you know, to 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 work towards 
the next World Cup and maybe even beyond um, until whenever Saudi can host their own World Cup, whether that's in 10 years' time or whenever that is, 10, 12 years' time or whenever that is. Yeah. Um, mm. But I, th- I think he's just tired of of our arguing with people, to be honest. I think at some point you're, you're, you reach a point where you're like, enough with this, you know, enough. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is strange how things changed um, uh, very quickly. Um, but let's have a look at his legacy um, and his achievements. And obviously, you know, there is one achievement, of course, that stands out uh, and will make him a legend forever. And that is winning the Euros uh, in in 2020 or 2021. And I mean, what an achievement. I mean, where he took Italy from, you know, failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, a team that was in an embarrassment, not just a national embarrassment, a world embarrassment, uh, a team under Ventura with no identity, playing the kind of football that was stuck in the dark ages, um, no young players coming through, no real hope, no one had any hope, none of us had hope, um, especially when you marry that with the, the, the struggles of the, of the Serie A and Italian football as a whole in the last decade. Um, no one gave Italy any hope of, of being a, a challenger, for, for Euro 2020, certainly not when, when Mancini took over. Um, and then to, to go from that to winning the Euros, um, I mean, absolutely incredible. And people forget now, he was the, the world record. Italy have the world record unbeaten run. Uh, it went three years without defeat under Mancini from October 2018 to October 2021 people forget about that so that just shows yes the last two years of Mancini's reign you know things started to go stale uh, things went wrong he made some mistakes but those first three years Nimmer I mean absolutely unbelievable to, to go three years unbeaten and then to during the middle of that to win the Euros um, incredible achievement for sure I, I think with you know in his career He's got a very interesting career because if you look at how he started out and the kind of football he played when he was at Lazio or Fiorentina and Inter, um, and then how he metamorphosized, you know, changed completely into, you know, we went through this, you know, almost you know, crazy metamorphosis tactically when he came to Manchester City and started playing some sort of passing possession football where you know, focus was more on dominating possession and, and imposing yourself on the on the opposition rather than having, you know, what he had at Lazio and Inter, which was a safety first kind of approach. I mean at Inter essentially it was just Ibrahimovic and Inshallah, let's be honest. It was give it to Mikon, Mikon, go with guard, then give it to to the, the, the Swedish guard and hope that you win. I mean that that was just how Inter played for three years under him. And that's why essentially he got sacked as well, because they it was dreary and unwatchable uh, in Europe and and they didn't and they failed continuously um there was no there was no balance and lines and and it just didn't work that and also of course he is a he's a, he's a temperamental person a temperamental person i mean he resigned at the end of he said he was going to resign at the end of the season after the liverpool loss by the way, the way he dropped it, I never forget that press conference where he goes, "Oh yeah, and by the way, I'm I'm leaving Inter at the end of the season, and yeah, this has nothing to do with the Mercato or anything like that." And then just walked out, very very matter of very very calmly, just dropped that. And then, mm-hmm. of course, 
everyone's jaw dropped and the next couple of weeks were spent trying to walk that back and he decided to stay on um and 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 of course you know by then in Mourinho uh, Moratti contacted Mourinho and everything and the rest is history but um then he goes to city and then he changes completely who he is the tactics how he plays of course with their money it's easier to do that with that with 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 that wallet than it is with with Moratti's wallet and the Serie A's wallet Serie A club's wallet um until you know he goes to you know he went to Galatasaray won a cup there he was he, he was quite a, the cup coach wasn't he yeah. Um, in and, well, look and the number of Copa Italia, he, he yeah, and, and, yeah, and also you know the Turkish Cup, and, and he won the FA Cup, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Um, he's, he's he's a cup coach, and then when you take that into you know he goes to Inter, he does a decent job. Uh, the year and a half he was there, um, got fed up with 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 the chaos that was, walked out. Um, De Boer came in, ruined everything. Uh, Suning stepped in because they'd already bought the club, but they weren't our hands on. Suning step in, throw out Tohir and his his ilk, um, and and then you know we're from here. But then you know if you look at when he takes over Italy, um, and where Italy were, like you said, and to where they ended, it was to me, in my opinion, that Azzurri team, um, that what for me that that those two years, those two and a half years, leading you know going you know leading to the. European Championship win. I think those are his the greatest achievement he has had in his career. Of course. Because and and he has a lot of achievements. Let's not forget about that. But what he did there is 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 the uh, the high mark, the high point of of everything he's ever done. Mm. And 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 I think this might be it. I don't think we will see Roberto Mancini coaching another big side i don't think we'll see mancini coaching another big big national team in the sense like the traditional sense of brazil or argentina or germany or italy or france or england or anything like that i think he now goes to saudi arabia to try to win the asian cup and then from then on i think we're talking about someone who will take more direct you know technical appointments and that kind of thing i don't think we'll see him mm. On the pitches after the Saudi Arabia. Well, it depends how long he plans to stay at Saudi Arabia. I mean, uh, seven years until they potentially host the, the World Cup. I don't think he's going to be there seven years. That's the point, isn't it? So. Uh, yeah, but I don't think he's going to be there seven years. I do think that he will go there to over the Asian Cup, which we know Saudi want to win, um, and also the next World Cup. I think that's the those are the main things, the, the main targets. Mm. Yeah, and what are your most memorable moments? From Mancini in a in a in Italy as the coach of Italy. I mean, from I, the Euros, he, there's obviously so many from the Euros. Yeah, but for but. me, it's his Azzurri revolution when he took over. Um, and he, you know, because I remember, I was I, I was tweeting about this when he took over. I was very very happy that he was the appointment, and I was not there was not many very many people who were happy except with me. Uh, and the reason that I was very very happy and I knew that he was going to do well is because I've seen him. He he works well with youth. Um, and he's 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 not afraid to give young players chances and important you know moments. Um, he's given unknown players their de- Serie A debuts and Milan derbies. You know, Nyokori, for example. Uh, I was there. It was it was crazy. Like who who's starting? Uh, 
Um, it, it, was, it was weird, everyone in the press box. He does like, have a good eye for a talent. We've seen that in mm. the transfer market. Like he's always he's always identified players as a club coach. Even like if you look at Manchester City, the players that he mm. bought from Manchester City, he's always had an excellent eye for, for a talent. He's always been able Let's to Let's remember, he was also the guy who gave, he's also the guy who gave a 17-year-old Mario Balotelli his debut against Juve in the Coppa Italia, and he scores twice. Yeah. He is unbelievable in that aspect. But mm. for me, the most, his Azzurri revolution is, and, and the midfield, the way that he structured this 4 3 3 and the possession based football and Taylor building it. Taylor yeah, nobody for, thought that Jorginho and Verratti could work together. Well, that's, what I'm, that's nobody, exactly what I was going to get. Nobody, nobody thought Taylor made role for Verratti and Jorginho in midfield um, was, was truly, truly, truly remarkable in the way that they could retain possession and. And and so for yeah. me, it's 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 his um, it's everything. It's it's the Azzurri revolution that he that he took over. And he, yeah, and it was all deserved that, as well. You know, it wasn't a fluke. It was you know you don't go three years unbeaten. Uh, by no, no, no. There was structure. He built something uh, for three years. He built structure. a and, fantastic and team that were the best team at the Euros. Italy were the best team no, at the no Euros. Um, they no deserved to win the Euros. They had a, a little bit of fortune, of course, if you win two penalty shootouts. But you don't win a tournament. Without a bit of a bit of luck, uh, if you win two penalty shootouts, you you've had a bit of luck. But they were the best team at the tournament. They played the best football uh, at the tournament, uh, which you don't usually say about Italy. It's, you know, Italy national teams—they're not usually teams that are good on the eye. Uh, well, that's and, well. That depends on what your definition of beauty is. I think the most beauty, you know, for me, I I love that attacking Euro beauty, attacking beauty. Yeah. Let's say attacking beauty. For me, Euro two thousand, that Italy side in Euro two thousand with that defense of Nesta, Cannavaro, Maldini, Juliano, Zambrotta is is truly unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, well, let's say let's reframe that as attacking beauty, yeah. uh, modern attacking yeah. beauty. Yeah. But uh, here's the thing. And, like he, what he does for me, like that's what I'm saying. Like the fact that he changed not just Italian perceptions of Italy and what Italian football and Italian national team is, but also foreign ones as well. A lot of people were completely surprised by Italy. Who don't, who, you know, people who don't tune in to football that much, they were like, "Whoa!" Since when did Italy start playing like that, like this? I mean, yeah. just the opening night. Um, yeah. But the embrace with Vialli, the crying, those two. Yeah, absolutely. The embrace with Vialli, I think, is the moment. If we're talking about Mancini, him, Mancini himself, yeah, absolutely iconic. That is. Yeah. When they, uh, when they and obviously the with Vialli then passing on not long after, um, you know, 18 months or so after, then, you know, yeah. of course, that that is even more poignant. Um, but so so many great memories from, from those Euros uh, you know the, the the that opening night, which was beautiful, with the with the opening um, uh, ceremony and the, mm. the the who was it the singer um, Bocelli, uh, Bocelli, Andrea Bocelli, and then all the way through, you know, Chiesa's winner against Austria, the Insigne against Belgium, Jorginho's penalty against Spain, uh, and then of course the final. I mean, Saka. That is the most memorable moment from that final, even though Chilini. it was like, <laughs> yeah. it's just Italian old school, you know, defending just on the line, you know, getting a yellow yeah. card. That's not a red card offense, but that is a yellow card offense if there ever was one. And, and to do it the way he just sh- shamelessly did it. Like, just, no, all the memes after the final as well, a lot of them involving Mancini, <laughs> like Mancini is the queen and. And uh, Mancini is the uh, what was it? The Braveheart as uh, yeah. William Wallace from Braveheart, <laughs> and you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was it, no, it was magical. A, it was, and, and he's. But just I, before I've... we move on, 
But before I have we to move say, on. though, on a personal thing, I think he's one of the most elegant and uh, elegant human beings I've ever met and, and ever had the chance to ask a question of. He's so, he, he just, when he's, he's just a gentle, like he's, he's got this kind of like superstar aura about him, <laughs> you know, um, every, when he walks into a room um, and he's, he's very, he's, he's uh, I'm, I'm going to miss him Italian football because he's also a, a rebel as well. You know, he he's he doesn't. You know, if you look at his own playing career and, and the kind of player he was. No, no, he, he was a very he's very uh, emotional and impulsive uh, person. Uh, he was. He is a rebel. And, he is a rebel, and he goes his own way. And if he's not happy with something, he explodes. Uh, but I mean, like Sven Goran Eriksson said that you know when he's been on our podcast twice that look, Mancini was already a coach when I when I had him as a player. <laughs> he said he used to ask me details if you know about Sven used to say this told us that you know he asked me details uh but basically Sven said at Sampdoria already he let him run the training sessions hmm. yeah just before we just before we move on to look at who could replace him um we have to obviously touch on kind of what he did wrong and his failures and disappointments of his spell because you know there is one big elephant in the room, and that is that he, despite winning the Euros, he he failed to qualify Italy for the World Cup. We've we've gone into that kind of you know why that happened. Um, some of it was bad luck. Some of it was um, you know Mancini making mistakes, and I think he did make some mistakes in those second two years. And I think he made the the classic mistake that's mm. often made by Italian national team coaches in the past, in that he held on for too long to to certain players from that Euro winning team. And Bonucci, I guess, Leonardo Bonucci is the the, 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 the player that, that stands out the most, but there were others as well. And that is, um, yeah, that I think that cost him as well. Even now, if we're looking at why he's resigned, I, I do think that that's played a part, hasn't it? Mm, absolutely. Uh, you can't get past that because a lot of that was, it was a silly thing too as well, because it was just, they had match point, three match points, didn't they? And they, you know, use it continuously using Jorginho as your penalty taker, this ridiculous stubbornness, which he had at Inter as well, or throughout his coaching career, which used to be like, there's no need, like you turn small, insignificant details into, you know, battles of you know morality of life and death it doesn't need to be that it's just in your head you know you just make a minor tweak to 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 refresh things and stay you know stay with things everything does not need to be you know you don't have to go to war you don't have to die on every hill and and that's a little bit mancini as well he he does pick like many coaches great coaches they pick peculiar hills to die on and he picked a really weird hill to die on with Bonucci, Jorginho as a penalty taker and stuff like that. Yeah, and I also think that the lack of a plan B um, also, I do feel like Italy started to become found out, like their, their style of play, their little movements, um, you know, teams work them out after a while. Well, of course, that happens Euros, to everyone. That and they, and they became sterile. And that's why, yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's why the great coaches, the greatest coaches always you know especially in modern football this is probably more true in modern football they they have to reinvent and tweak 
their 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 their, their tactics and their movements. And Can, has anyone has anyone ever been better than this than Sir Alex Ferguson and Pep Guardiola in the modern era? Well, I, I mean, think Pep Guardiola just, absolutely the best. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson Ber- used to tweak Ferguson, and change all the time towards the. I mean, he won a title with a team that last season where that was. I mean that yeah. that that team was barely seventh. Ferguson changes players a lot. But Ferguson would would change players. This is something like the great Juventus did in the nineties. They would often change their players because they they felt that players would lose that. And this was more probably more down to players losing their their um, their determination and their hunger, and they they would sell sell those players on and bring in new ones. Ferguson would do that a lot as well. He would sell players on, bring in new squads, and he was great at uh, you know creating totally new teams that would still go on and win. Uh, whereas I think Pep Guardiola, what he is brilliant at is he is a genius. I mean, he's the best coach of his generation. There's no doubt about that. At, you know, just tweaking certain things on the pitch. Like, for example, last season, bring you know, the inverted mm. fullbacks, p- putting John Stones into a central midfield position or the, or the right and left fullbacks coming into midfield. And, you know, things like that, you know, that is what, uh, Guardiola's doing, and that's something that Mancini wasn't able to do. He, he, you know, Italy became sterile. They couldn't score. They couldn't create chances. We know they have a problem in attack, but I think that was more down to teams just had worked out all their movements. They knew all the patterns of play. They knew where the players were going, and that needed to be changed. And he did try and change that in the last few months. Too late, like went going to like a three four three three five two, but it didn't really work. Uh, and maybe that's why it potentially could be a good thing that he's moved on, that now Italy will have someone fresh, someone new uh, to give to, to the opponents will have to try and work out. Uh, the question is, though, of course, uh, and the key thing will be, who replaces Mancini? Because this will be key in determining whether it can be a good thing for Italy that Mancini has moved on. Uh, so the, the, the front runner at the moment is Luciano Spalletti. Um, the issue with him is that he has a three million clause, which Aurelia De Laurentiis has put in. That if if Italy want, or any other team wants to sign him now this season, um, they'll have to pay three million. Um, so there's Spalletti. Well, that's something, that's something that has to be able to be negotiated. I mean, the reason he put that in is because he didn't want him to go to another Serie A side, which I understand. Yeah. But this is Italian national team. And I think that is just, you know, Aurelio needs to, there he can back off, I think, no? We hope I mean, so. <laughs> we hope he's not. But we know De Laurentiis. Yeah, but I mean, for the love of God, this is a national team. It's not a direct rival. It doesn't impact you in any shape, size or form. This is silly. Yeah. Um, it's it's, it's yeah. a silly. I get the clause to protect you going into the season. I get that. Absolutely. But we're talking about a national team level. It's got nothing to do with club football. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So there's only two qualified candidates, basically. Luciano Spalletti and Antonio Conte that, that are available. Then we come to the other names that have been bandied about. Fabio Cannavaro, yes. Daniele De Rossi, Rina Gattuso, Fabio Grosso, due to his very, very close friendship with Flavina. So watch out for Grosso if we know anything. We've learned anything from Italian football. And then, of course, Max Allegri, who was heavily linked in the days leading up to... Uh, um, no, to, uh, I don't to, see Juve allowing Allegri to leave a couple of weeks before the season starts. It's just not going to happen. Um, well, a few days, but yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so anyway, the FIGC say they're going to um, they're going to make a decision in the next few days. 
So for me, there's only one man I want, and that's Luciano Spalletti. Yes, Spalletti, without a doubt. Um, and the three million, they need to sit down with De Laurentiis and, and basically sort that out somehow because it's, uh, you know, if we're talking about the good of Italian football and, and the national team, Spalletti is, is, the, is the perfect candidate. He's at the right age. He's coming off the back of his greatest achievement to crown a fantastic career by winning the Scudetto with, with, with Napoli. He plays a football that is the natural continuation of what Mancini tried to build on. Um, it's, it's the next step, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's also in his 60s. Uh, this would be a way, and he's also, you know, the, he. I think he's also the kind of character that could unite all of Italian, all of Italy, and Italian football behind a banner, because uh, we've seen him do it at his clubs. Um, and and the character he is, he's very charming, a bit crazy. People like that. He's a little bit of an oddball. No, I, I think Spalletti just ticks every box. I really do. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree for all that, all those reasons. Um, I want Spalletti over Conte. For, for starters, I think Conte will be too no. expensive. Conte's yeah, salary no. will be too expensive for starters. Um, but um, I want, yeah, I want a continuation of Mancini's vision of how yeah. football should be played. I don't want them going to to a Conte who will come in with a back three, uh, play a three five two or three four three, and and. You know, I, I just think Spalletti makes sense the way that the football. I I, I think that the adaptation to, to Spalletti um, will be smoother. And we've got to remember, you know, we've got we've got World Cup qualifiers in a few weeks. This is not good timing, and we have to win these games. Uh, yeah. Euro qualifiers, sorry, in in a few weeks we have to win these so matches. You otherwise, you just Antonio Conte would be again throwing everything out and bringing him in again. You know how he is. You know how volatile he is. You know how how emotional and moody he is. And you've only got three weeks to do it. And he's going to start arguing yeah. with everything under the, everyone and everything under the sun. Uh, you're yeah. going to restart. And also, everything. exactly. And I think Spalletti's more fitted to this so-called, we'll see, so-called, uh, you know, vision uh, project for the future, yeah. which Mancini has, you know, tried to put into place, trying to mm. make it to be, you know. M- progressive and modern uh, and not saying Conte isn't but I'm saying that he, he will come in and, and I think disrupt that uh, to do to, to play and to manage in the way that it's a completely Conte different manages. style of football it's it's yeah. his calcio verticale which is very rigid and system based in that sense it's not as fluid it's much more it's more like a marching band and Mancini and Spalletti is more more uh, progressive rock, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's just, a, you know, <laughs> Conte, boom, boom, boom. You know, you go there, A, B, C. Like, it's very, very system-based. And and what we've got there is is you've got possession-based football. It's much more fluid. It's much more flowing. And and Spalletti, you know, con- is, is, you know is a continuation of that, uh, of, of what Mancini has put there, although it's slightly different, um, of course, in, in how they play. But no, for me, for me, it's got to be Spalletti and and Aurelio. For the love of God, this is preventing the national team from having a coach for three million euros. Like, sort yourself out, mate. Yeah, let's 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 hope, let's hope, because if we cannot be going with someone, as much as I love them as players, legends, uh, we cannot be going with with, with Cannavaro, De Rossi. De Rossi. I mean, that would just be it would just be disastrous. <laughs> I mean, it's, really well. it's, it's a ridiculous. De Rossi and Cannavaro are not at that level. Grosso did well, if I'm not mistaken. He got Frosinone 
promoted from the Serie A, Serie B last yeah, season. Yeah, we're talking, you know, we're talking qualifications. Exactly. And, yeah. Yes, as a player, but I mean, I've, and also, he, none of those guys, especially De Rossi and Grosso, they're, you know, they're in the beginning of their careers. They should, you know, let them grow. We, we, we don't want to burn out coaches this early in their career like Juve did with Andrea Pirlo. You know, you don't, we never know what could have happened with that career if he had time to grow and mature as a coach. Putting Grosso mm. in charge of the national team and him flopping would be would, no. Would it would be another Roberto Donadoni from Euro two thousand eight. That's the kind of appointment that it'd be. You know, you just don't make that kind of appointment no. unless you really are trying to cut costs and not and and pay a really small salary. And so, anyway, let's move on to the to the to the to the Mercato now because we've got so much to get through. Um, we'll start off with Juventus. Um, Juventus are really, really busy at the moment. And they're selling a host of players. And um, if you want to listen to the players, that they, if you really want to listen to the, and understand what they're going to be doing in the in the last uh, fortnight of the market, then listen to my podcast from Thursday last week. It's for Patreons only uh, on Patreon.com/tifp. And I've done a did a deep dive going through every single uh, big team in in Serie A and looking at the players that they they could potentially buy. Uh, and sell uh, 50, I, I named actually more than 50, 50 possible Serie A transfers between now and the end of the market. And I went into a lot of depth on, on Juventus and all the players they could sell. But one player they are they, they are definitely selling, the deal's already done, um, it will be official soon, is Nicolo Rovella um, for a fee uh, of just 17 million euros. It'll be a loan with obligation for just 17 million. Uh, contracts sorted for 2028. Um, Luca Pellegrini is also going to go for around 4 million but this sale of Rovella to Lazio has really infuriated Juventus fans they're very very angry and very I would say understandably uh, so for, for a number of reasons uh, number one Rovella is somebody who I mean I think he's got a big future ahead of him he's a, he's a regista that Juventus need Juventus don't have any other natural registers in their, in their squad someone that can dictate and build up the play. Um, and that has been a huge problem in midfield for Juventus in the last well, last few years, really. Uh, and, um, you know, he's a, he's a youngster. He's only 21 years old. He represents the future of Juve. I thought he did really, really well at Monza last season. Um, and to sell him, but to sell him for 17 million, I mean, all the praise that Juntili has got for, for selling Zakaria... For, for a good price, I think, for like 22 million, 20, 22 million, to only sell Ravella for 17 million, and then he was bought for 26 million. Um, terrible, terrible, financially a terrible deal. Um, so, from Juventus's point of view, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's good business. What do you think, Nemo? Yeah, I think, but it's again, it's a business they have to do. Uh, Rovella's clearly not in the first team plans. Um, he needs to play. They need cash. You know, he's not really, you know, he's not, you know, Zakaria's played at European level. Rovella's not. Um, he's played for Monza, I mean, <laughs> or in Juve last se- season. So I think it's a mistake, but it's a mistake that they have to do because. They have to raise money. They have to balance their books. It's as simple as that. Yeah, seventeen million is way too low um, for a player that was bought for twenty-six million. You they bought him for twenty-six million. He's a much better player than the player they bought for twenty-six million. Why are they selling him for seventeen? Why are they selling Ravella but keeping Weston McKenney? 
uh, Ravella is a much better player than McKenny now. And that's forgetting about the potential, the ceiling that Ravella has. Um, so it, it, I don't, I don't get it. The only way that uh, I can, the only way this can be salvaged for me is if Juventus then use the money to sign someone. I mean, we know Juventus wants to sign another central midfielder if it's possible before the end of the window. If they were to use this money to sign someone like Kefren Taram, for example, mm. then then it's salvaged. Then it's like, well, they used this money. They needed the money quickly. The deal was on the table. They used this money to sign someone like Kefren Taram, who is a, you know, he is a better player than Ravella with a higher ceiling than Ravella. Then absolutely, but I don't know if that deal is possible. He's going to be very expensive. Uh, there's other teams that want him. Liverpool will probably come back in for him, I would think, now that they haven't got uh, Moises Caicedo. So it's a difficult deal too. If they manage to salvage it with something like that, then it then it starts to make sense. But otherwise, I just think they've undersold him. Um, from Ravella's point of view, and from Lazio's point of view, I think it's fantastic. It's a great signing for Lazio. I think he will flourish under Maurizio Sarri. Sarri adores him. He was his number one choice, along with Samuele Ricci. Ricci, Ricci was his number one choice. Roberta and Ricci um, were his were his favourite choices, and you know he he will become a key player under uh, under Sari. He will fit Sari's system, and Allegri didn't didn't value him. So I think it's better for for him. I think it's better for the Italy national team as well because he'll go to a coach that will be able, capable of developing him uh, and give him the game time. Absolutely. Um, I think this is this is a good this is a fantastic thing for Rovella. Uh, Sari will Sari has a fantastic ability with 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 midfielders. Uh, you've seen what he did with you know Jorginho was was great at Hellas, but he didn't reach those levels until he came to Napoli under under Sari. And not just that, you, you see the, the the system that he builds. Uh, and if you're a midfielder who who can adapt to that and learn from that, you 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 can look like. He can make you look so good, even better sometimes than you are, maybe in some some instances. I think he's he's mm. got a fantastic. I mean, someone like Philippe Anderson is not as good as he looks when unless he plays in the Sari system, for example. Um, same with Zakani. I like him, but he's not this good. It's Sari's system that makes him this good, um, mm. and, and I think that is true of many many players that Sari's had. But then again, he is he's a fantastic coach. Yeah, no, he's great for central midfielders. There's, there's, there's so many. You can just look, look at the list of midfielders that Sarri has worked with and what he's done with them. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a deal that, that that doesn't make much sense. Obviously, Juventus do have to raise money. Uh, Philip Kostic is also now on the market as well. Um, but one person that isn't on the market, uh, well, he's still on the market potentially, but he's a player that I think he looks like likely to stay now, and that's Dusan Vlaovic. Um, mm. Chelsea have pulled out of negotiations for a potential swap deal with Romelu Lukaku. That doesn't mean Lukaku couldn't still potentially uh, end up at Juve, but the, 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 that swap deal is, is closed. Uh, and I think now looking at the other potential clubs, I don't really see any other options for Vlaovic. Um, Bayern, have signed, Bayern Munich have signed Harry Kane, so that's off the table now. That was, for me, the bet most likely uh, destination for Vlaovic if the Kane deal didn't go through. PSG have signed Gonzalo Ramos. Kylian Mbappe is now going to stay. They're also uh, they've signed Dembele. They're, I don't think 
that's off the table as well. So really, there's not anyone left. I think the only ones that potentially left, Real Madrid, uh, long shot. Um, but I don't, I don't see that happening um, either. They've also got assigned players for... Um, well, they've got some another defender now because they've, they've had another ACL to Edo Militao. Mm. Um, and, I mean, Tottenham, potentially. And Lukaku's actually been linked to, to, to yeah. Tottenham as well. Um, so, I mean, so I don't So they're basically see... buying all of Antonio Conte's players when he's not there, Tottenham. <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's just, it's a joke. Um, sorry, just had to, yeah. I, I find that absolutely insane. If, if he goes there and Conte's not there, and he got this thing I don't see the, I don't uh, see him suitable just, to to the Andrew Postogoli system. Of course he's not, but he would have been perfect for Antonio Conte. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So so anyway, so yeah, so I think Vlaovic is yeah, it looks like Vlaovic is going to stay in, and maybe this also explains why Juventus were going too progressive with selling players like like Ravella, players they probably well, they shouldn't be selling, but they need to raise the cash because they've not got the cash that's going to come in for for, for Vlaovic. So Vlaovic and Chiesa could end up staying and that didn't look likely um, at all that no one would have, would have would have said that Juventus are going to keep Vlaovic and Chiesa. It was going to be, one of them is going to be sacrificed um, this year. So we'll see, yeah, we'll see if, um, we'll see, it's still time to go, things can change um, uh, but it, it's, that that's how it looks um, at the moment. Talking of, um, of strikers from, um, with heritage from the, from the from the Balkans, um, Marko Anatovic, uh, Inter are close to signing him for probably eight million plus one and two, one or two in bonuses, um, and also plan to sign another striker on top of Arnautovic. So they pulled out of signing Fodorin Balagun. Um, obviously, failed to sign Schemacher before that um, as well, and Lukaku before that. They've now got to they've moved because down the of- pyramid. Because of principles, you know, Inter, Inter really, really won the treble of morals and principles in the, in the summer. They, they really are the, the, the treble winners of moral high ground and, and, uh, and, and principles uh, this summer. Because let's remember Lukaku, they didn't sign him because he, he, made the, he, he did the great crime of, uh, you know, belonging to Chelsea and talking with other clubs. When when he uh, when when Inter before Inter had signed him, and then we go to to Scamacca and and how dare West Ham accept Atalanta's two million offer uh, offer which was two million euros higher than Inter's offer when they hadn't accepted Inter's offer because you know we are Inter we have principles and morals how dare you we don't participate in auctions, and then of course the creme de la creme of principles is uh, the Samardzic deal where they. Allow the player to have a medical, knowing full damn well that the there was problems with the commissions, uh, that that has not been resolved, and so he sat in a hotel and instead of paying three hundred, you know, just making this problem go away, they have their principles and their morals because they don't refuse to pay that extra three hundred k or to make it go away, and they'll probably end up with Roberto Pereira. So congratulations on your morality treble, Marotta, Zhang, Auxilio, everyone take a bow. Congratulations, you've made Inter decisively worse. Um, you've uh, <laughs> you've gone from Romelu Lukaku to Marka Arnautovic in a few weeks. But you have your morals. Congratulations! I hope I hope that helps you win that second star. You have this. You have three stars in morality and high ground, moral high ground. It's a joke. These it's it's gone to the point where you wonder if these people are drunk at their work 
when they turn up to the to 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 to, 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 to when they punch in every morning, do they start drinking? It's it's embarrassing. Clown show doesn't even begin to 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 to, to, to describe the absolute cluster f that is Inter right Inter right now. It's embarrassing, utterly embarrassing. And then you talk to me about morals and and principles for the last two two three years. These people have been harping on like a broken record about financial sustainability. Where the actual F is the financial stability, financial sustainability of buying Marko Arnautovic for 10 million euros at the ripe old age of 34. Where's the financial sustainability in that? What, you, you, you think you're going to make that money back? Come on. It's embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. They, they just lie. Let, let's be honest. At this point, if Marotta, Auxilio, Zhang, Bacin, Antonello were to come out and say that the sun goes up in the morning, I wouldn't believe them. They are professional <laughs> liars. All they do is lie after lie after lie after lie. And clearly, they're clueless. They don't know what they're doing. They do not know what they're doing. And yeah, the, sum, the, summonsage, the summonsage stuff is, is absolutely insane. Some of the stuff we can't actually, we're not even allowed to talk about. Um, <laughs> but some of the stories that have come out about what's going on behind the scenes of summonsage <sighs> is absolutely batshit. I can um, only say that the people I've spoken to that are involved in that say that they, it's the most, they have never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like that. And, and to, this is the thing though, but the thing is, the problem is when you piss in the face of the fans and you lie to them, it reaches a, bo- a tipping point now, and most Inter fans, ninety percent, there are there's still the occasional you know idiot who's deluded, but ninety percent now have had enough. Ninety, well over ninety percent of Inter fans have had it with this. With this, do you think the summit such deal will this, go through? No, do I don't think. think I don't think it will. I do not think it will. But why would they? Why would they? What they Inter don't understand is that at the end of the day, the player is is holding all the cards. If he goes to Juve and Napoli and you end up with Roberto Pereira, who's the loser? You or him? You have your morals, congratulations, but who's who's the loser here? You could you could, you could sign Lazar Samadzic and you could turn him into a profit. What exactly are you going to do with Pereira and Arnautovic? What profit are they going to provide? Well, is, per- is Pereira going to come? Is Pereira the alternative? It's either him or Stefano and, and or playing the in May, you know, or playing the let's hope Stefano Sensi doesn't break game again. It's it's absurd. And and the thing that pisses me off the most with all of this is that Samadzic was not a priority signing. That's not where you need to put your money. You needed to sort out the third striker. You need to sort out a replacement for for Milan Skriniar. Nah, it's 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 look. Well, Inter will still have some money to here's, play. Here's I mean, the, you well, must be listen. You listen must be, here's the thing with this with this management. They can do individual brilliant deals. Individually, they can do on specific deals. They can work absolute brilliant work out some brilliant things. But there is no coherent structure at Inter. It literally is throwing shit at a wall and hope something sticks. Continuously. And That's now, not something we usually associate with, with Marotta from 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 well, well, even Marotta is, is not the only one there. Yes, he's responsible, but he's not the only one there. He has to have an organization around surrounding him that works. At Juve, he had a machine, a well-oiled machine. At Inter, 
He does not. He's got this. What, what do you make? Okay. Are you happy with the runs around looking like a K-pop star? Thinking are you that, happy with Carlos? He says, thinking that he, if he says things like we, we, th- big, talking big words, like we have, we have, we have a vision, and we have, we're, we're you know, we're always going to be competitive as long as I'm here. Inter always going to be competitive. Yeah, okay, great. But what exactly are you doing every day to make that happen? How are you, mm-hmm. as the club owner and pres- the representative of the ownership, creating an environment for people to succeed? You're not. You are not. Okay. Well, let's talk about Carlos Augusto signing, coming in uh, on a, a, another loan. <laughs> Inter, a loan with obligation to buy. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's another thing that, that some people need to understand. This loan with obligation to buy, for financial fair for play purposes, it counts as a transfer. All that is is about you know when you do start doing the payments. So if it's a loan with an obligation, it's a signing. And it's not a loan. A loan is it's if it's a dry loan or just a paid loan without an option or just an option. This is an obligation. They have to buy the player. So so it's a signing. And it's a signing that um, I think with Gorsens is actually, look, if it happens, I am happy with that. Because Carlos Agosto, you know, go back two years, check the tape on this podcast when, when I've spoken highly of uh, Agosto since uh, I had him as my breakout player in the Serie A last season in our preview, Serie A season preview, um, together with with Richa Karatschelia. He's a player I really, really like. He offers something different to Di Marco, just like Cuadrado offers something different to Denzel Dumfries tactically on the pitch. So I think this is actually a very, it's, it's a good signing because, again, it gives Inzaghi options and God in heaven does he need them when he's got Correa and Marco Arnautovic up top. Yeah, good numbers last season. Six goals, five assists, um, 13 million uh, obligation to buy, two million loan, um, 15 million. I mean, I think that's that's good business. Yeah, and also his his wages too. They're they're lower than Gorsens are. Look, it's no, it's it's a good, it's a good. This is a good deal. But then again, I don't know if it's going to. I'm sorry, I don't trust them. I I do not trust this. What they say uh, until I see him unveiled holding the shirt, I don't buy it. Just don't mm. do it. But yes, it's a good signing. But let's see if they can try to bring that in. But um, as for the, the, the Arnautovic thing, look, Mark Arnautovic can do a job for you, absolutely. But as a repl- he's being brought in to replace Lukaku. How have you improved the squad that way? You think Arnautovic is better than Lukaku? No. Is Jan Sommer better than Onana? No. So... And and who God knows who's who's be, who, who Mister Invisible. Well, Taremi could still arrive, no? Maybe Taremi could still could <laughs> yeah. still arrive uh, if if they sell Korea. But who's going to buy Korea? I think Adriano Galliani's mm-hmm. reaction to that on Sport Italia was the best. He started laughing and said, "Ma che Korea? <laughs> no one's buying Korea. No one's but you have to throw money at the guy so he he, he goes away. You literally have to pay him to leave, or he runs out his contract." You know, it's, it's nah. It's it's this. The, maybe the, uh, maybe salt buy can buy him. Yeah, why not? You've got the money. <laughs> you got, get, yeah, they can, can stand. Him to, he can salt can and he, he can barbecue. He can be his head barbecue. Yeah, he chef. can barbecue and he can salt and they can stand there on social media and and do 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 some you know be of some some good to someone on earth because they're certainly not doing anyone any any right enough of your whinging about inside let's move on to napoli um so napoli been very busy the last few days they are about to uh, confirm the uh, victor ossiman's new contract Mm. uh, 10 million net per season 
uh, who will extend his contract to 2026. But more importantly, there will be a release clause in his deal, 150 million that will come into play next year. So it won't be valid uh, this market. That, that means that Ossiman is uh, Staying. Offic- officially going to stay. Is something that, that would seem certain anyway uh, by this point, the way the market has gone. But um, it does mean that we will get to see Victor Ossiman for another year at Napoli and Serie A. So it's great news for, for Napoli, great news for, for, for Serie A. Um, but Napoli also have, um, they've already signed one central midfielder as Stanislav Lobotka's backup, and that is Jens, if I pronounce this right, Kajuste. Kajuste. Yeah, his Ren. dad, yeah. Um, he is a very interesting player. He's from Gothenburg. He was born in Gothenburg, in my city. Uh, his dad, if I'm not mistaken, is Haitian. And so that, um, that is his, uh, that, that name is uh, a Haitian name, apparently, um, from what I understand. Um, but yeah, uh, he, uh, his, his father, his, his dad is Haitian American, I should say. And his mother is Swedish. Uh, they moved to China when they were five, um, when he was five, because his because his dad got a job there. If I'm not mistaken, his dad was working in football, um, I think so. Uh, can't, can't remember, but um, they, they, you know, he started his football career in Beijing, in China, at the Chinese Sports Beijing, it's called. And then they, you know, they returned back to uh, to Gothenburg, and he started playing for Örgryte. Um, and he was incredibly, incredibly impressive. That he he made his senior de- debut in the second tier of Swedish football at a very young age. Um, I think he was just fifteen when he did it. Uh, so no, no, you know, he was 16, sorry, 16 when he did that. And he was so impressive, um, that, you know, Danish football, Mikuland quickly snapped him up on a five-year deal in 2018. Um, and he's been really, really good since then. And, and then he went to, um, then he was bought by rain, uh, for 10 million euros in, in, in January, 2022. Uh, and yeah. So, but there was some arguing over that as well because Reims claimed that they only paid half of that and blah, blah, blah. But regardless, it's a very interesting play. He's a big guy. He's, 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 a, like a, he's, he's not a small person. Um, I think he's, uh, like he's, he's got a physical, he's, he's, I think he's six foot two. He's um, 188 centimeters. Um, he's, he's a big midfielder, like a big person. He's got physical presence. But what I do like is his ability to win the ball and the acceleration immediately when he wins that ball and knows exactly what to do with the speed of the, the speed with the ball when he wins it and also knowing exactly when to pass it to. I mean, there's there's one goal that he assisted last year, I think, in, in French League, which was just it's such a good demonstration of who he is. He, he wins the ball really high up and the, the acceleration within one second... And the pass with two touches, which was just world class, so so good. So um, they've bought a, a, a little diamond there, a, a diamond in the rough. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, talking about diamonds, gem, I would say, is um, Gabriel Vega. If Napoli can complete this deal, because this is the second central midfielder that, that Napoli are looking to, to sign to to. Um, to replace Piotr Zielinski, who is set to leave and, and join Al-Ali uh, for around £30 million on a massive, massive contract. Now, Gabri Vega, I've seen, I've seen a bit of him. 
uh, and the people that I've spoken to uh, in Spain about him uh, all say the same thing. Like, this guy is an absolute gem um, of a player uh, and he he's going to be a... Uh, watch out for him. He, he was a top scoring um, a midfielder in... Um, in La Liga uh, last last season, 11 goals. Uh, and he got uh, 15 goals and assists. Uh, he's got a great long shot. Uh, really, really exciting, exciting player. Uh, would appear to, to fit in to the type of football uh, and type of players Napoli have. Um, so if Napoli can close that deal with Celta Vigo for, we're looking at 35 million Something I think he has a clause. I think around about forty, something like that. Um, yeah, this could be. This could definitely be one of the one of the signings of the of the season. Uh, he looks like a real talent. So, yeah, that will. Let's see what, well, let's see what happens doing, there. Napoli are doing the classic Napoli signings. Jens Cajusta as a, as a talent is is um, Vega as well. I mean, these these are the type of players that Napoli snap up, don't they? When Juntoli was there, even. And even be before, so Napoli are doing Napoli things, but we'll see. Does it pay out, pay off, or not? Remains to be seen. Well, yeah, we'll see. I think the fact that Osimhen and Kvaratskhelia yeah. are both there that offers certain guarantees. I think in terms of goal. Output. I mean, as much as I'm skeptical of the question is the coach. I think that's, what <laughs> that's I was the biggest say. question. I'm yeah, very skeptical of Rudy Garcia, but I wonder if even he can screw this up. Um, yeah, you know, as things stand today, if they if they complete these deals. And Zielinski goes. I think Napoli are the favourites to win the Serie A this year, based on how things look today. I mean, the Mercato's <laughs> yeah, not we'll over. We'll see. Thursday we'll do our midweek. Uh, we'll do our preview, our mm-hmm. Serie A preview, mm-hmm. new season preview, and we will we'll be doing all our predictions. Yeah, but I, I always season. wait until after the the thirty first. You know, what I mean? yeah, for sure. For sure. But we'll do our our, our early early yeah. predictions yeah. for the new yeah. season. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's Napoli. Roma, also very, very busy. Uh, the big story with Roma is uh, Nemanja Matic uh, requesting to, to leave Roma, um, which is a huge, huge shock. Uh, the reports are that Jose Mourinho feels betrayed. It's strange because those two have worked together at three clubs. Uh, three times Mourinho signed him. They were like a real brother, the mm. brotherhood between the two of them. Something has happened there behind the scenes. We don't know what exactly um, what has gone on? There's been all kinds of rumours. Some rumours that the Italians and the foreign players are are <laughs> divided in the squad. Luke, uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini came out and called that bullshit when he was asked by a fan. Um, but we don't know. There's, there's something that's gone gone on there for for Matic to come in and request to leave Roma uh, and join Ren in Liga. Something strange. Uh, so I don't know what has happened there. Um, Roma will receive a three million fee. Um, it is a big blow because he was absolutely sensational. Okay, he's 35 now. He was brilliant last season. And I have to put my hands up and say, I didn't. I thought he was a player that was on the way down uh, and, and was way past his best. And he came in and was, was absolutely superb last season. So he is going to be a very big hole to fill. Um, but Roma are about to sign Renato Sanchez on loan. We'll wait to see if it's with an option or an obligation to sign. But all, all it's unanimously... Uh, reported that that is a deal that's about to be basically done. But he's not the only PSG uh, player that is arriving because there is our old friend, Leandro Paredes. How does he do it? How does he keep getting these these, these contracts and these start of... I don't know how he does it, but Roma are... It looks like they're going to sign Paredes because Paredes has rejected Galatasaray. He doesn't want to join Galatasaray. Um, 
was it Fenerbahce? Mm. Apologies, um, I haven't got notes on hand. He's, he's rejected a move to Turkey uh, in order to um, to uh, hold out for for, for Roma. Um, so, what is it with Paredes, Nima? What what is the secret here? <laughs> you know my con- you know my favorite conspiracy like <laughs> f- conspiracy theory in football is is Leandro Paredes' career. I think it's a money laundering scheme. <laughs> I think his entire career. I don't have like it's my Alex Jonesian crazy conspiracy theory. I think Leandro Paredes' career is is a money laundering scheme because it makes no sense. The clubs that he's been at versus what he actually does on the pitch, it makes zero zero sense. I I just don't get it. Argentinian Kuzmanovic, I don't get it. I do not get it. Um, and and now he's going to go to Roma. But I mean, then again, maybe he can get it. You know, this is where it kind of all started. Um, and maybe he can do something there i don't i don't i doubt it sincerely doubt it but you know that he brings the experience in that position that Mourinho wants it doesn't strike me as a Mourinho player either mm-hmm. Mourinho likes his holding midfielder to be very very good defensively very mm. good at closing up the space very mm. good at and that is not paraded that is paraded. not paraded that is not paraded. that is his weakness is if there's a strength it's it's he's good at kind of starting the play yeah Given that first pass, breaking yeah. that first line with a pass, and that he's decent at that. His short game is decent. If he's got the right players that can play football around him, he can be good. Like we saw that even with Argentina at the World Cup, he can play a, play have a function there. But I'm not sure. <laughs> not, maybe not they're sure. playing a double pivot. I mean, maybe he's changing things around and playing with a double pivot if Renato Sanchez joins as well. But then he's got Awar as well, and hmm. Maybe yeah. we'll see. No, but, uh, we'll look, see. It, I think Roma's depth is is improving a lot um, in every area of of the pitch, and and I think that's a good thing, except for the striker because they've only got Belotti. Well, the striker's an issue for me. I mean, they're getting close. It looks like they're getting close to Duvan Zapata. This mm. is a guy who's thirty two years old. He's mm. definitely past his best. Maybe Mourinho can can get a song out of him. Um, one last time, yeah. One last year, but I, I'm not. Yeah, I. I, I the problem is with Roma is this is Roma. Roma are basically AS Roma, AS Lona. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to use a terrible, a terrible pun. But I mean, they're only like getting players on loan. They've got well, yeah. no money. Not to spend. obligation, just option, loan with option, and free signings, and yeah. free transfers. Free transfers. Yeah. Uh, but they have to. What are they supposed to do? I mean, they can't do that. They're they're tied by financial fair play. The 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 Friedkins of you know have worked so hard to make them a private company, take them off the stock stock market, which allows them to to spend you know it changes the, the dynamics of how they can spend and, and invest in the club. Um, it's, it's not easy and they're really, really working hard at it. I don't know what, 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 what how much more they can. They sold, they sold Robert, Roger Ibanez for, for, for a massive sum. And you'd yeah. think they would at least be able to, 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 to invest that money, at least invest the money that they made, but they're not, they're not able to. I mean, there might be a small fee for, for Paredes, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's goes back to the whole FFP yeah. conversation that we've it's had. It's ridiculous. It's like, a joke. Italian, it's Italian a joke. It's a joke play, that but- Roma get get done for financial fair play when Chelsea, PSG, and Man City do what they do. It is an absolute and the Italian And the Italian teams like Roma play ball and accept it, whereas... whereas no, they should be fighting don't. it. They should be fighting it. Yeah. I, I think from now on, every single Italian club should be dragging this out all the way to the CAS and just... 
don't take this crap from UEFA. No, and that's just the same criticism. I know it's a different issue with, with Juventus accepting their punishment from UEFA. Like Italian teams should fight this. They shouldn't just be like, oh well, we want to, we're going to accept it because we don't want that hanging over us. Which I understand. You want to just move on, but but you know Roma here. I mean, it's not fair that Roma should have to it's, play it's by a the joke. rules. If other teams, joke. if other teams can break the rules, um, it's just not fair. It's just not fair at all. No. Um, no. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Roma are going to be busy anyway in the transfer market. They're going to potentially up to four or five signings, but I don't think they're going to spend much money in making those signings. Um, Fiorentina have made two signings. Uh, They've made some signings. excellent signings. Bumbala Unzola uh, from Spezia for ten million, and then Lucas Beltran from River Plate for twenty million. So they've got two strikers in. Um, uh, what's his name has left. Um, uh, Cabral has gone to Benfica. Got in. They got a lot of money for him as well, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, so, so those are their those are their two signings. I haven't seen much of Beltran. I do know that Roberto Mancini was trying to naturalise him for, for the Italy national team. Uh, and Unzola is a player that we we, we were very very much um, we, we praised him a lot last season. Uh, well, I mean, I think he did an incredible job for a terrible Spezia team that that created nothing for him to get thirteen goals for for. for Perspective. I remember his performance against Inter. Well, he was amazing when they beat Inter. Um, he's worked with Italiano twice before already, so they play. They, you know, they 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 know each other well. Um, so I think it's. I we'll see. We'll see if this is if this is Unzola's level. Um, but then there's Beltran as well, who I have to confess I haven't seen much of him. So we'll see. attack has been Fiorentina's problem. We, you know, I was big on it throughout last season. Um, mm. Fiorentina, I think, would have got ten points more, maybe more. I think mm. they would have won the Conference League if they had better attackers. They only had Nico Gonzalez; they had no one else. The rest were all substandard. Um, if they had better players in attack, I think they would have won the Conference League, and they would have got another ten points in Serie A at least last season. So, let's see if these players can can take that, can can solve that this season. Hmm. Okay. Um, right. Um, right. We, we, we've, we're way over. So, um, Nicola Zaniola, Wilfred Nyonto, uh, we'll discuss them on, on Thursday's show because those issues are going to rumble on. Let's finish off with Badjo and Prem Phase of the Week. Right. Let's start off with Badjo. Um, my Badjo of the Week is Sandro Tonali. Uh, I watched his debut, Newcastle against Aston Villa. 5-1 win for Newcastle. Tonali was man of the match. He was absolutely magnificent. Um, he scored on his debut within six minutes. Um, it was the complete performance, the perfect performance. Alan Shearer called it the perfect the perfect perform, midfield performance. Um, he got three hockey assists. So that's the, mm. the assist before the assist. Um, Secondary assists, yeah. Yeah, he dominated the midfield. He was composed on the ball. Um, beautiful passing range, all kinds of passes, short, medium and long range. Um, magnificent pressing. We know he's an elite presser, pressing high up the pitch. But he showed all the, the batting qualities, the grinta, the grit of, of a Reno Gattuso. Uh, winning the ball, uh, aggressive, um, straight up to the pace of, um, of the Premier League, which certain talk sport pundits questioned whether he could... Uh, he was suited to the, the pace and ferocity of the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he showed that. Um, so I thought it was magnificent. Nice. I think if, if this is what we're going to get from this season, then brilliant for Newcastle, brilliant for, for the Italy national team as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's 
I don't. I think every everyone who's listened to this podcast from when we started will know that I what I think about Tonali. I think he's a exceptional player. I think he's a generational player, and I think he will. I think it's for him to go to the Premier League, given the the the, the characteristics he has. I think he will just be absolutely. I think I think it's good for him. Um, and also definitely. because his characteristics definitely yeah suit the he'll he'll definitely. he'll develop that side of his game and he'll bring that into the national team. I mean. Him and Barella just have to play together. It's a, I, I, I almost don't care who's next to them. I just want Tonali and Barella to start for the Italy national team together because it also showed to me that he is so much more suited in the midfield three. Mm. Um, whereas for Milan playing in a four-two-three-one, yeah, that formation doesn't seem. I don't. I don't see him as a player in a in a in a two-man. No, in a two-man central midfield, if it's a four-four-two, fine. I mean, no one would use that formation anymore. But but you know, four-two-three-one as kind of a double pivot. I, that that, no, that no. doesn't suit him, and no. I think that restricted him. No, at, I agree. Milan. I agree, and I think next to Barella, with a I don't know if you play Locatelli as a and six. He's not a or... six either. He's not a regista either. He, mm. he his perfect role was where Newcastle played him as a, as a right mezzala. That is his mm. role. Um, absolutely, perfectly suited for it. Fantastic. Also, I want to give a shout out. I wouldn't go as far as calling him a bad show, but I want to give a shout out to Destiny Odoji, who, yeah, was who I debut. thought had a really excellent debut for, for, for Tottenham as well. One of the one of their best players. Um, nothing absolutely outstanding, but he showed he was he belongs there and he belongs in the Premier League. And again, somebody who has the attributes that are suited to the to the Premier League, I think. Uh, and also playing in a back four. Um, which is really good because if he's going to have a future in the Italy national team, he has to be able to play in the back four. Can't just play in a, a three-five-two like here, like he played at Udinese. So that was good. Uh, and also Luca Cogliosho, who played, who was part of the Italy under nineteen Euro winners, um, started for Burnley against Man City and actually was very bright in the in the first half in in, in that game as well. So that was a that was good as well. That was a pleasant surprise. Vicario, not so good, but mixed, mixed performance for him for, for Tottenham. Hmm. Prem no, face. I think you've got yeah, that's, that's Prem all face, Nima. Come on, you take this away, the Prem face, because I saw you having fun with this on <laughs> It was crazy. What's wrong with them? Like <laughs> he's Harry Kane is has joined or was joining when I tweeted this out, Bayern Munich. Okay? Not some tiny little minute you know team that that's never won any it's Bayern Munich they're one of the top five six biggest clubs historically in the world right and of course listen to the logic of this and I use the term logic very loosely here Jamie Carragher tweets listen I can't even read this out without in it with a straight face Alan Shearer's Premier League goal record gets talked about a lot more than his Premier League winner's medal. Medal, that record will be huge for Harry Kane. The big club, the big plus for going to Bayern is to guarantee he plays Champions League football and a chance to win that trophy every season. It's not about their domestic trophies; they'll win them anyway. And I'm sure he'd rather have the Premier League record than the Bundesliga. What? <laughs> and then the second one, Michael Owen. I know Bayern are a massive club and I have huge respect for them, but if I were Harry Kane, I'd stay put. There's no great achievement in winning a trophy with them. Real Madrid, I would understand. One or one or two top Premier League clubs for that matter. Becoming the all-time Premier League top goalscorer at Spurs is a bigger achievement than winning the league in a country dominated by one team. 
<laughs> Michael Owen. Michael Owen. I've interviewed Michael Owen. He's a, he's, a, he's a nice guy, but he's, with all the respect and love in the world, he, I think if there's anybody that you wouldn't want to socialise with or go to dinner with, like, for conversation, it'd be Michael Owen. Like, he's just like... You can't make this up. It's like no. it, 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 the, the logic is to become the all-time goal scorer in the Premier League is better than winning the Champions League. Are you insane? Are you unwell, no. Michael? Jamie, should I call someone? Blink twice if you need help. Like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, Jamie Carragher, we know Jamie Carragher, but we know this is just, this is, it's just, you know, I, it sounds to me, that, there's it, only one league that it exists. It sounds and, to me that they all need a holiday or AKA, as Gary Neville calls it, a mini retirement because <laughs> the three of them, like all three of them are just, like, stop, stop talking. Well, Michael, Owen would, Michael Owen has never watched the Bundesliga ever in his life because as in Michael Owen's own words, he's never watched TV. Uh, Michael Owen once in fact let me dig this out what he said what what do you mean I've only watched eight films in my life (laughs) films films I've been forced to watch and he names them Rocky Heat Ghost Jurassic Park Cool Runnings Sea Biscuit (laughs) (laughs) Karate Kid Forrest Gump (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so I mean, what are the chances that Michael Owen's ever watched a Bundesliga game <laughs> ever in his, his life? Unless he's been to the to the stadium and, and watched them. So, okay. why should Christ. Harry Kane join Bayern Munich? Hey? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I've, I, this, I've no words for them. No words for them. Hmm. Gosh, forced to watch. Forced to watch. Yeah, it's just okay. mad. Absolute mad. Right, let's leave it at that. Um, we will be back on Tuesday for the Q&A, and then Thursday um, we have our big preview of the Serie A season, which kicks off this weekend. The new season is upon us, so we'll do our usual preview, going through all the teams, uh, doing our predictions, players to watch, um, all that jazz, and, um, yeah, hope you all enjoy it. Um, so... Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Have a great week. We will see you on Tuesday for the Q&A. Ciao, ciao.